what constitutes working on a car. It shouldn't be this complicated to watch and enjoy a Formula One race. Like, it just shouldn't. Why do they do the podium ceremony before the official result is out? You know that when you're standing there, you're on so many different cameras at so many different angles. You are always being watched. And I just would have thought that we would have seen maybe a smidge of a different reaction. Welcome to Unlapped. Katie George, Lawrence Edmondson, Nate Saunders, and Tony Cohen-Brown joins us this week. Second race of the season has come and gone. Lots to get to when it comes to the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Tony, did we have to entice you to come back for your second appearance on Unlapped, or was it an easy sell? Oh, it was an easy sell, Katie. Thank you for having me again. Of course, it's so good to see you. Lawrence, fresh off the plane from Jeddah, how was it? Yeah, not feeling so fresh, but um, yeah, we got through it. Uh, I think it was an improvement on last year and that there were no missile attacks and we could focus on what was happening on the track. Um, and plenty to talk about, despite another dominant Red Bull victory. I think we've got quite a lot to get through in this uh, in this episode. Yeah, we definitely do. Nate, thank you for matching me. I'm glad that you got the memo. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad someone else did. I like this little hoodie. It's a Buccaneers hoodie. I've got a rep while now Brady's gone. I've got to pretend I'm still still as a- as actively following the team as I was last year. Well, we're going to start, I think, with the green team on the grid based on what went down. So let's dive straight in. Lawrence, you were there. I would love for you to take us through a timeline as you knew it, as you were hearing uh, from the FIA. Penalty, no penalty. What's going to happen? We obviously watched Fernando Alonso make it to his second podium of the season. Hundredth podium of his career. And then everything started chaotically unraveling. How did it play out from your standpoint? Yeah, so let's go from the very start, uh, which actually happened at the start of the race. Fernando Alonso was <laughs> out of his pit box. He was to the left of his pit box. And under a regulation which has changed this year, you have to be within the pit box. You have to have your two front tyres within those lines. And he didn't. So he incurred a five-second penalty, which is exactly what happened to Espan Ocon in Bahrain. Uh, He went to serve the five-second penalty, and in F1, if you're taking a pit stop, uh, you serve the five seconds at the start of that pit stop. The team are not allowed to work on the car, but this was exactly what became the issue later on, what constitutes working on a car. Um, And in this case, Aston Martin had the rear jack fitted to the car as it came in within that five seconds, and uh, that's what created some confusion later. Actually, the FIA and its remote operations centre in Geneva looked up the initial pit stop, decided it was okay. And then it was only on the final lap that they decided, oh, actually, we've seen some different camera angles and uh, we need to look into this again. So they flagged it along with the race director, or they flagged it to the race director and the FIA's new sporting director, a guy called Steve Nielsen, who's just moved from F1 to the FIA. And they said, Stuart, you need to have a look at this. Potentially there was a breach of, of how this five-second penalty was served. And the stewards looked into it They agreed that the jack was touching the car and therefore it was a penalty. The only problem is um, whether touching the car means working on it. And that's um, basically what happened, what kind of we got stuck into a little bit later on. So the stewards issued a 10 second penalty for touching uh, the car with a jack. Um, That uh, basically meant that Fernando Alonso was taken off the podium, even though he'd already gone and lifted the trophy on the podium. Um, and uh, then we waited until it was about one o'clock. I was just about to board 
my um uh my transfer to the airport knowing that this was all being investigated and finally the FIA came back with a statement saying that oh actually Aston Martin have come to us uh, they've requested a review because they've given us seven examples of jacks touching cars at uh 5 second or 10 second penalties uh in the pit lane and um they've also questioned whether the teams had agreed collectively that touching the car with a jack constituted working on it and um, whether that was the front jack or the rear jack and it all got very complicated and in the end as i was uh, just arriving at the airport i found out that fernando alonso was back on the podium so i mean that's you know it's ridiculous going through that now isn't it trying to explain that in one uh, simple simple go but that's essentially what happened and that, that's where we got to but um i think it, it opened up a lot of questions uh, for me there's there's two big ones one is the remote operation center was brought in to make things simpler it was brought in to kind of investigate these things so the stewards don't have to be constantly doing too many jobs at once and they didn't seem to catch it the first time and if they did they didn't fully understand what that meant and you know and, and then it was uh this agreement at the sporting advisory committee that some teams felt that touching a jack touching a car with a jack was working on it others didn't and um and not having clarity on that so we basically had as is so often the case in f1 a rule that is open to interpretation and uh the stewards interpreted it one way initially and then um the team that got the penalty aston martin came back and interpreted it a different way and ultimately uh that was considered the right way so it's just messy, isn't it? And but this is not uncommon in Formula One. This seems to happen quite a lot. Uh, the rules that are open to interpretation create these kind of arguments. Anyway, I'll let someone else talk now because I feel like. <laughs> uh, that was, thank you for the timeline. Say, was comprehensive. I, I, I mean, I don't think you're going to get a better description of that. Um, I do find it. I mean, just to follow on from that, the, the most bizarre thing from Formula One's perspective, and I've always thought this is weird, is why do they why do they do the podium ceremony before the official result is out? You know, I feel like. You know, I understand why that kind of traditionally has been the case. But the more you look at it now, the more you're just like, just get the stewards thing out of the way. And I mean, if you are going to if if you do want to say, well, it's not great for the show, make make the stewards bit part of the show. Put a camera in the stewards room. You don't have to play sound, but show the driver in there or show the team rep in there talking to the stewards. I watched um, the Cheltenham horse race was last week. It's like a week, you know, a week long. It's a bit like the Kentucky Derby, Katie, just a week of just on just horse racing all day and people just probably losing lots of money on on bets but at one point there was this contentious decision where one of the jockeys had to go and see the stewards and they had a camera in there and you could see him talking and it was a bit animated and i was i was thinking this is great i'd never seen this before you they didn't play it so you couldn't hear what he was saying but it was good as well because they said until we know what happens here we can't we can't actually tell you what the result is and as a fan watching on tv like 99 percent of people will be watching a formula one race more than that it that's key isn't it you want to you want to finish the broadcast knowing who has finished first who's finished second who's finished third i text a friend about an hour after the race i was like oh did you because he's a he's a big aston martin fan mm-hmm. and i said oh you know sorry sorry alonso lost the penalty mate uh, lost the podium mate and he's like what what do you mean i was like oh he's he's been ducked 10 seconds and he had no idea because he'd kind of he'd switched off towards the end you know sure. once the race had finished and he'd gone about you know he didn't have alerts on his phone or anything like that and I, and then about an hour later i messaged him as i like, sorry <laughs> Alonso is actually back on the podium. Just like, kidding. What, what on earth? You know, and it's just so it's it, it, it it's so avoidable. You know, I I think that it's difficult because there's obviously processes that have to be followed here, and you know the FI is very good at going. You know, they go through processes and say this has to happen, this has to happen, this has to happen. But to to have the podium ceremony when you know one of the guys on there is under investigation, it just seems very very dumb. And I think that 
is the most obvious way around this, isn't it? Is you say if you finish, you go straight to the stewards. You just do that, and the stewards prioritize whoever's on the podium first because ultimately that's what fans want to see, don't they? They want to know who the top three are. So that's an obvious fix, I guess. But the rest of it, I don't know. Maybe I'll I'll and I'll throw a hospital pass as we used to say in rugby over to Tony to see how to fix the rest of it. <laughs> you want me to help with solutions, Nate? <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> no, I'll yeah. say there's something that's that's really interesting for me. And it's just that we started this year with all the regulatory changes around what drivers can and can't say. And I had this moment of, oh, this is going to be the most political year we're ever going to see in Formula One, because when you tell people you can't do something, all of a sudden, like all of that comes up. And I think it's similar. similar, The similar thing is happening right now with how decisions are taken with the stewards as well, is just there's a massive lack of inconsistency. And one of the reasons, obviously, we have these rotating stewards is obviously to, well, obviously, is to try and avoid bias. But that also lack of inconsistency means that we're getting inconsistent decisions left, right and centre. And the other thing that it took me a while to realise which was the stewards have access to hundreds of camera angles, live data, radio messages that we don't actually always hear or understand. So I liked your point also, Nate, of what would it look like if we could actually get a better understanding of what is actually going on and what information the stewards are looking at. And I know that's maybe asking for too much as a fan, but to your point, there is something here of we don't know how the decisions are made. So for me, there's like a lack of consistency and there's a lack of clarity, which just muddles the whole thing even further. But I think it was Zach Brown last year also that came up with, or, or that spoke about this pretty openly that you know these steward positions are not permanent which means they're unpaid and it might be time to have a look and actually change this to have these these steward positions actually all be permanent and paid so we had to maybe potentially allow for that consistency um, because I think it's getting to a point where it's a little bit ridiculous to your point Nate of your friend most fans are a casual fan that they tune in they watch the race they want to be able to tune out and then enjoy the rest of their weekend without having to stay constantly, you know, online and figuring out what all those changes are. And I think we have to solve that because not all of us want to spend every waking moment thinking about all the changes and back and forths when it comes to a podium win. No, we don't. And I, I think Messi is the best way to describe it. I mean, you have Fernando Alonso with the trophy, taking photos, interviewing, and then all of a sudden you see George Russell coming back out to interviews now with the trophy and that I didn't get to see him pass it back, sadly, when it was reverted, but the whole thing was messy. Uh, but Alonzo on the podium after all, which means Aston Martin is here to play. Are we too early to say that Aston Martin is the second best team on the grid thus far? Um, I think it depends on the situation because in qualifying the Ferrari was second fastest car on the grid um and i think we didn't really see the full potential of the ferrari in the race because no. Carlos science really struggled and uh the clerk actually looked very good in that first stint I remember he was on soft tires everyone else on mediums he made them last longer than carlos's one so clearly he's got a better understanding of how to look after them and uh he was pretty competitive um you know he was moving through the field uh ahead of max verstappen and then it was only when max caught up with him that he pitted and got out of the way so i think the Ferrari, there's still the potential there, but I'm not going to try and defend Ferrari necessarily because they've had such an awful start to the year uh, with the combination of reliability issues and just minor setbacks here and there. I'm not going to hold the um, strategy against them this race because the safety car timing was a bit unfortunate for them. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, clearly there's still a bit of work to do there as well and communication as well. We can get stuck into that between the clerk and his engineer. Um, so I, I think Aston have got an incredibly good solid 
car that seems to work, um, has a very wide operating window, works in many different types of situations, which is very positive. That's exactly what you need in Formula One uh, to mount any kind of challenge for a championship position. Uh, but I think we will see the Ferrari come back over time. And it's clear that the Mercedes and the Aston are very closely matched. So track to track, we might see things change a bit as well. Lauren, and obviously reliable as a car. Sorry, Katie. No, go. Do you feel like the Aston looks like a very reliable car compared to maybe, I know the Red Bull had issues with reliability as well. They were saying that it wasn't front and center right now as the car was fast, but they were struggling with reliability issues. And obviously we've got Ferrari also yeah. struggling in that position. Yeah, I mean, Stroll didn't finish in Saudi. So that's, you know, that's about as bad as it gets, right? You know, I mean, yeah. it's it's one thing to have issues in qualifying, start further back, but uh, the, the race is where you want to make sure that the car is bulletproof. Um, but it's... Uh, I think all these teams at this stage, especially when you're in as competitive a situation as Aston Martin are in with Ferrari and Mercedes, uh, you've got to push the car to the limit. And, you know, at this stage of the season, often you find where the weaknesses are as a result. But um, I, I wouldn't, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be overly worried about uh, the Aston at this stage because it does have the Mercedes engine, gearbox, rear suspension, all of which proved very reliable throughout last year. Um, I've been reasonably reliable on on the uh, mm. actual Mercedes as well this year. So um, I I think over over the course of the year, I mean, this is very much just basing it on a very small amount of data and trying to extrapolate. I, I would say that I'd probably have more more faith in the Aston Martin holding together than the Ferrari. I, I don't know about you guys. <laughs> I have more faith in most cars doing something more better than the Ferrari, to be honest with you, at this stage. Um, but I know what you mean. Um, I think that that reliability thing is interesting. I think. Um, you know, it's it's maybe the one thing that gives a glimmer of hope in the season is that you've got these two chasing teams in Aston and Mercedes that do seem a bit more reliable than certainly the Ferrari, like Lawrence mm-hmm. said, but also, you know, Red Bull, we saw, you know, it, it sounded like for the last 15 laps, I mean, as, as terrifying as it was when they said we were managing the pace and they were still, you know, <laughs> driving fast enough to put in fastest laps, but they were worried about at least one of those cars not finishing. So, you know, maybe that's just a one-off thing, but when you, when you have that so early on, and it's fascinating, isn't it, that reliability has been a really big thing this year across the grid, which we didn't, I mean, it was for some teams last year, but it seems to have really stepped up a bit this season. So I'm kind of clinging on to hope there that I think Lawrence said it perfectly after the Bahrain show or before the first race, he said the ideal situation is you have the fastest car is the least reliable in a, in a season and the chasing cars mm-hmm. maybe aren't as quick, but are the more reliable. And then you have that great mix of the season. Mm. Um, not saying the Red Bull is super unreliable, but if that is a weakness of it, it opens up the door to to certainly Aston and Mercedes to, to pick things up. So fingers crossed we see a bit more of that. Because, I mean, otherwise, I don't know what's going to stop the Red Bull from just <laughs> running away with one-twos all year. We'll have two races. Uh, we'll be able to watch Checo and Max and then the rest of the grid. Yeah, <laughs> the race for third. Suddenly <laughs> yeah, becomes exactly. Big well, let's get there because obviously the Aston Martin situation with Fernando Alonso took headlines after the Grand Prix, just based on how that all played out. But there's no denying Red Bull absolutely dominated again uh, with insane speed and Jetta. Hats off to Max Verstappen. I just don't know. We felt like we talked about it all season long last year, just how dominant he was, how machine-like he was. But going from P15 all the way up to P2, which I know that he was not thrilled about after the race, uh, and we'll get to that and the dynamics between he and Checo Perez, But Lawrence, when you look at this RB19, why is it operating at such a high level? What is it that makes it such an incredible car? 
I wish I knew because I'd then <laughs> go and get a job at Mercedes or Ferrari and tell them exactly what's going on. Um, so, I mean, I, I think, you know, to paint in very broad brushstrokes, um, Rebel have got a very good understanding of these regulations. Uh, and they also, even last year, were able to generate a huge amount of performance without running the car super low to the ground. We know these new cars, which rely heavily on ground effect aerodynamics to generate performance, that in general, the lower you you can run it, the more performance you get. Yet Red Bull are able to run a relatively high ride height and still generate masses of performance. So their understanding of what is going on underneath the car seems to be a long way ahead of um, of its rivals. And uh, this year as well, we had new a new kind of tweak to the reg- regulations to try and stop the porpoising, which was a result of teams running the car too low to the ground, which raised the, uh, the basically the, uh, the the level of the floor. And it seems that Rebel have been able to adapt to that better than anyone else as well. So while everyone else maybe has taken a little step back and trying to like figure out where the performance can come from and understand their concepts still and, and why certain things aren't happening as they should, Rebel just seems to have a full uh, and complete understanding of, of how to add performance to this car and uh, and push it forward. So um, that that's, you know, it is interesting what exactly is going on in that Red Bull. Uh, I, it, over time, we tend to find out these things, you know, we tend to get a better understanding. Engineers drop hints, um, you know, uh, the more technically minded journalists uh, start to uh, get their heads around it as well. Um, and ultimately, what you usually end up is lots of teams converging on a very similar uh, car concept, or maybe two different car concepts, they kind of converge on on those. So I think we'll see that over time. But uh, for the moment, I think all all you can do is, is say hats off to Red Bull. And it's it's not Red Bull's fault they're dominating the sport and making it look a little bit dull at the moment. Um, it's really the fault of all the other teams, just as it was when Mercedes were doing the same uh, during the uh, kind of 2014 to 2020 period. It's funny you I say think- that, Lawrence. I was going to say that that's that Mercedes being was unbeatable in 2014, 2016. And it's interesting hearing Lewis Hamilton say that car, I've never seen anything as fast. And to your point, some of the most technically minded journalists were breaking down like the lap times and looking at actually going, yes, the Red Bull is fast, but there was a time where that Mercedes was actually equally as fast in some of these corners and straight lines. So it, it must be interesting as a driver to watch a car whiz past you and go, God, I've never seen anything so fast. But obviously if you're the one being overlapped and you're the one seeing the car go by, you it must feel much faster. And I was like sick looking at this thinking, Hamilton, I'm pretty sure you were in a car that was ju- equally as fast at some point. It just doesn't feel like it right now, um, which is interesting. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people saying Lewis got a pretty short memory, weren't they? But I think you, I think you're right, Tony. Like, I think it is a perception thing as well because if you're That's in a car and something just comes past you, like you're not even there. I can remember when McLaren had that awful Honda power unit. I can remember Button getting lapped in a race, or sorry, overtaken. No, he was getting lapped in the race, and he said the Mercedes came by me, and it was like I wasn't even on the same racetrack. They just it just flew past, you know. And so, if you're sat in that car, you're like, that's the quickest thing I've ever seen because all you're seeing is it just like flash past you, and then it's gone. Um, but people were people were sharing the pictures uh, on Reddit. I saw of Bahrain 2014 when they had that late safety car, where Rosberg and Hamilton had that great wheel to wheel fight. There's only a few laps left after the safety car. I think two laps after the restart, you've got a picture of uh, Hamilton and Rosberg going into turn one together. And Perez, who's in third place, is just coming around the final corner. So it's like that's that's pretty dominant as well. And I'm sure all those guys in that pack behind Perez were like, this, this is the, this is the okay. fastest car I've ever seen. So it does show you. And again, with, with Schumacher's Ferraris, I'm sure you know Montoya and Ralph Schumacher probably looked at that and thought, we've got a pretty quick car, but that 
that Ferrari is is a rocket. So I think in 10 years, another another driver will be looking at another car and saying, you know, Max Verstappen might even be looking at another car and saying that's the fastest car I've ever seen as it kind of whizzes by him. It's kind of secular how it goes around. And he's not going to be saying that anytime soon, though. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, 10 no, years, and but certainly not, not right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> well, he'll be he'll be trying to beat that car to a faster lap. That's what he'll yeah, be doing. Uh, okay, <laughs> I'm glad you bring that up because we had a pre-race show, obviously on ESPN, uh, leading into Saudi Arabia, and the question was posed: If Max Verstappen starts picking people off like we expect him to do, um, what happens if he starts closing in on Sergio Perez? Do we see team orders? It's obviously very early in the season. Think back to what happened a season ago to Sergio Perez. He was on pole and then an ill-timed safety car after his pit stop totally threw a wrench in his plans for the day. He ends up finishing P4, not even on the podium. So for me, someone who's a fan of Sergio Perez, I thought if today goes well and he does what he's supposed to do, I hope Red Bull stands by him. I hope they stick with him because he's deserving of this win. Just want to bring up your all's predictions from a week ago. You tied, by the way, so I'm going to have to add a third column into our records. Lawrence, you thought Max and Sergio would be on the podium along with signs. Want, want. Nate didn't even have Perez on the podium. You had Max finishing P1, signs. Want, want. We're going to have to go over that when we get to Ferrari. Yeah. And then you also <laughs> foresaw Alonso finishing P3. So a tie there. But I'm glad that Sergio had that moment, but it looked a little dicey there at the end of the race. What did you guys make of how things played out between the two teammates late? Well, I think Checo, I'm surprised that Checo is surprised when Max isn't listening to the team. I feel like that's kind of the vibe he gave at the end of the race. And I feel like just kind of someone needs to kind of shake him and be like, do you not remember what happened in Brazil last year? Like, I think if it's a really interesting position we're in this season where clearly Perez is going to be Max's only championship challenger this year. So what Perez needs to be doing is he needs to be looking at what Rosberg did in 14 and 16 to yeah. get under Hamilton's skin. And a lot of that was about just playing the game in the same way Hamilton played it, you know, and I think it's a bit of a diff diff different situation in the fact that Perez is probably much easier for Red Bull just to kind of drop if things get really bad than Verstappen. They're never going to turn around really to Verstappen and say, we're actually getting rid of you on the back of this. But I think Perez just needs to, you know, if 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 the team's telling him something, he's got to almost treat some of it with an air of not mistrust maybe, but he's just got to say, all right, well, but I also need to get these fastest laps. I need, if he backs himself to get them, he should go do it. And I think that's what Max was doing. So yeah. I think that it'll be interesting to see if that happens again. Because again, I don't think there's going to be many instances where we see Checo in front of Max, you know, this mm -hmm. season. So it was interesting when it did happen, that Max was still able to kind of steal that lap from him. And I was hoping Perez would kind of just be like, no, I'm doing my own lap times. You guys sort it out yourselves. Because clearly Max was like, when has Max ever listened to Red Bull kind of reining him in and telling him, you know, this is what we want you to do. He's never done that. So for Perez to have expected that the messages he was getting, Max is going to be obeying them and listening to him in the same way. I think it's naive of him to have done that. If that's what happened, I don't know. But if it is what's happened, he needs to kind of, I think, reassess his mindset because he's not going to win a championship if he just kind of, if he just says, right, this is what's happening. I trust Max is doing the same thing. We're all good because it won't be. And he'll find Similar out after the race. Similarly to Otmar Safnauer, don't be naive. This is Fernando Alonso we're talking about. What has history told you about yeah. this person? Sergio Perez, exactly. what has history told you yeah. about your teammate? Exactly. This is where yeah. I, I think Max and Lewis are very similar. It was interesting in the 
listening to Lewis when I can't remember who said, oh, and, you know, George did well, you must be happy. He's like, great, that has nothing to do with me. And I think Max and Lewis are very similar. Just like, this is nothing to do. Like what my teammate is doing right now has nothing to do with, I also, I always love that Max is never happy that he's in second place. I don't think any driver is ever happy. And I, I, again, we should not be surprised when Max says, yeah, I'm not happy with this. And people are like, you got second, what are you complaining about? Yeah, it's not first. Like that, that's what they're all there for. But it's a well, different and you got to remember as well, Max, the reason that he wasn't really at the front of the grid and I think the reason he wasn't on pole position was because he had a drive shaft failure in qualifying, yeah. um, which, you know, happens, okay? Drivers have to also accept that it's a team game. Like, you know, mm -hmm. they will occasionally let the team down, the team will occasionally let them down. But, um, yeah, I think in the back of his mind, he thought, I had the pace this weekend to win this race in a normal circumstance, and I haven't. And then as for the fastest lap thing, I mean, I, I listened back to... Uh, Checo's radio comms over the last few laps and he asked who what the fastest time is who has it and he's told you have it and the time that it was which was a low 32 and then there was nothing more so it wasn't and we're sticking with that okay yeah. so you know I don't think at any point did Max necessarily break team orders uh Christian I mean maybe he wouldn't admit it if he if, if Max had but um Christian didn't kind of give that indication either afterwards I think uh Checo had kind of misunderstood the whole right drive to a lap time now with you can't just have one like go a, a fast lap at the end. The other interesting thing Christian Horner said was that he actually thought that Checo had attempted to go for a fast lap in the first two corners, made a slight mistake, and then realized that he wasn't going to be able to do it. So, yeah, I, I feel like Checo being unhappy about that, you know, it was perhaps a lack of communication, something that Red Bull will need to work on. Um, I remember Mercedes during their period of dominance with. Hamilton and Rosberg, they had the rules of engagement, all these kind of ground rules of what you are allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, where they draw the line. And even that ended up in tears on a number of occasions, most notably 2016 Spain. So, yeah, um, I think Red Bull need to probably go back at it and look, uh, as long as those two are actually fighting each other for wins, they need to go back and look at exactly what the rules are so that neither driver can get out and complain after the race. And maybe Sergio Perez needs to ask a more pointed question uh, of his, his team. It's about the question and how you pose it to get the information that you want. Tony, I think it's interesting. I agree with you. Max Verstappen is the ultimate competitor. And so he's never going to be happy unless he's on top of the podium. Nico Rosberg, though, after the race, kind of criticized some of his comments and said he needed to be more gracious. Um, obviously, the team put together great results. What do you guys make of that? I mean, you cover Max more closely than obviously we do. Do you feel like he needed to be more gracious in that moment or that is who he is and that's what makes him so great? Also coming from Nico Rosberg to tell someone to be more gracious, there's just there's a level of irony there that is palpable. That's all I'll say on that one. <laughs> I think, I think Tony's put that quite well. Um, I don't know if there's ever been a genuinely gracious Formula One driver. There, and by that, yes. I mean the reason they're in that position is because they're all kind of wired to think I'm the best driver in the world. I should be winning. You know, some of them deal with it better than others. I think, but I think it's interesting, isn't it? How, how similar Max and Lewis actually are. I think that's why 21 was so good because they were so similar in different ways, if that makes sense. Like they're, the similar traits they have play out in different ways. And Tony's right. Like the way... Neither of them are happy with first, but they're they're not happy with sorry with anything other than first. But mm -hmm. they're unhappy with it in a different way. If you compare when Charles Leclerc finishes second, for example, he's unhappy to finish second. But you feel like it's a different type mm -hmm. of feeling about it. He's 
he's more like, oh, I should be first. I should have won, blah, blah, blah. Max and Lewis would be like, it's it's a travesty I'm not first. It's the worst thing that's ever happened. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rest until we've put this right. And there's like a it's it's like it's built in them deep. So I don't think you can be gracious if that's your mindset. Um I don't think Schumacher was particularly gracious. I don't think Vettel was when they were winning, or at least you don't give off that. You, you don't give off a gracious air because you're winning so much. So, um, and yeah, for it to come to Rosberg, just to go back to Tony's point, is is great um, because yeah, he was he was not that. I will say <laughs> this: the last two years of Formula One have given us some of the best memes I've ever seen in sports, and I don't watch many other sports, but I just feel like we're in the like memification right now of, of Formula One. But they, the drivers and the context keep giving us these these moments where I'm just like, good God, you can you can make this up even if you tried. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. Well, one of the best memes right now is George Russell, so that'll be our pivot <laughs> and segue to Mercedes. We've mentioned the very critical comments, the bleak comments, the walls are caving in on us comments, and yet they put together P4 and P5. And I understand it's not to the standard that they are used to at Mercedes. I also like to take people for what they say and believe them as authentic, genuine human beings. I'm not saying that they're not a Mercedes, but it feels like they're painting a much darker picture than what their performance maybe would show on the grid? Like, are they, are they trying to think, make us feel like it's things are in the, a worser place than they actually are? Um, I think it's all about perception, isn't it? I mean, there's so many teams on the grid that would be delighted to finish fourth and fifth, uh, be close to a podium, not quite get it or have it for an hour or whatever George had. Um, but <laughs> that's, that's not where Mercedes are coming from. They're coming from a team that was dominating and it's not, it's not important where they are relative to Aston Martin and Ferrari, really. What's important to them is where they are relative to the front, and that's Red Bull. And that gap is huge. And it's the kind of gap that in any normal season, and I believe this will be the case this season, you cannot overturn. And that's what they've realised. And they've realised that they've got to change some fundamental things about their car. And that is a very worrying position to be in because they did, look at other ways of developing their car earlier in the year and they kept coming back to the concept they have now but now that has been proven that it's not it's not enough and uh and in order to go down a different path they're going to have to change some very fun fundamental things about the chassis 
things like crash structures, stuff like that, which you cannot change in a single season without breaching the cost cap in reality. So uh, they're stuck trying to turn this current car into something else whilst knowing that actually for next year, they're going to have to be working on something different again. So it's, it's a, it's almost how lost they are, which is the issue, not necessarily just, you know, where they're finishing on the track. It's, it's how far off they are Red Bull and how long it's going to take to, to get back. And I think that's why um, they are understandably, um, you know, upset about it, but there's, there's only so much time you can spend being upset and then you've got to start finding solutions. And I think that's the messaging that's starting to come out of the team now is that, Oh, you know, we're working towards solutions. We've got stuff coming that will help this year's car. And then we've got a good idea of where we're going for next year's car, uh, you know, and trying to build that understanding. So uh, that's where they are. But um, I, you know, I, I think they're absolutely right to be um, disappointed in themselves because they're not where they should be. A team with that budget, that history. Agreed, Lawrence. It, it is a bit of a, a totoism, though, isn't it? He even when they were winning, he would kind of, if they qualified, you know, second and fourth. The, the quotes you'd get on the Saturday would be, this is a disaster, you know, we, we need to go back to the drawing board, you know, and they'd win the race 1-2 by 30 seconds and then the next day. And I think it does come down to the mindset. But again, to Tony's point, it does make it kind of, it's kind of very memeable when that, when you go from one extreme to the other very, very quickly, at least in, you know, the perception of that is is that. But I think it does come down to that mentality of, we need to be the best and nothing else comes close. And I think that Red Bull and Mercedes are probably the only two teams on the grid that legitimately have that mindset. And I think it shows in how they deal with a lot of these things. I've always wondered, like, what's that mind frame that you need when you've built this car and it's, you know, tens of thousands of pieces and you're like, okay, which one do we need to swap out? Because <laughs> the endless combinations you can be in, it's not as simple as just like, well, it's very obvious what are the two, three parts we have to swap out. But I've always wondered, like, what is that game at which point you go, right, the car's not working. We have to scrap the design. We have to scrap the concept and start again. Or whether we try, which is where they are right now, they've been trying and tweaking and changing the concept that they have. And to Lawrence's point, now they've realized this concept isn't working. We have to change. But I've always wondered what that looks like of just looking at the car and going, right, what are the hundreds of pieces that we're actually having to swap out? Which ones are we keeping and what combination of that is? Because it's a mental, mental, for me anyway, someone who doesn't work in car design to have to think about that. Like, okay, great. Like, let's look at all the parts and what we're swapping out, where are we pivoting? It, it's like an Arubis cube. That's it. Yeah. I feel like can you can you get it perfect? And obviously it feels like Red Bull has. I just think that the comments that we've received from Mercedes, extremely dramatic, fine. They undersell over deliver. And yeah. maybe that's a, a good place to be in at this moment in time. Nate, I think you said something interesting. Red Bull and Mercedes come from a same kind of mindset. Lawrence, how would you describe the mindset at Ferrari right now based on what you saw on the weekend? Yeah, I, I feel like Ferrari have been trying to kid themselves that everything is okay. You know, that, that's the kind of messaging that they're getting is that, okay, things haven't worked out, but it's this, this, and this. And because the car's quick over one lap, it means eventually we'll be okay. And uh, in a way, I find that slightly more concerning because, you know, it doesn't look great from the outside what's going on at Ferrari. Um, and it does feel like they're at the start of a period of, of a similar thing to where Mercedes are, you know, com complete change. They've got people leaving the design office. Um, the, you know, they've had a change at the very top. And, um, you know, when you now look back to the start of this year, when Fred Vasseur, the new team principal was doing his early media calls and he was saying, we're fight we're 
you know, we're going into the season because we want to win the championship. That's our target. And you look at it now and it just seems so, so far away. And um, and that is slightly concerning, the disconnect between, I think, what obviously they should be fighting for, uh, but the reality of, of how big uh, an issue and, and to some extent how big a mess there is at Ferrari uh, for Fred to get his head around. So uh, I don't think that's going to be the work of a moment either. Yeah, it's quite just it's the the Ferrari kind of the ongoing saga with Ferrari is just quite depressing. And I do think that maybe obviously we knew how bad things were last year, but I think that a lot of people had kidded themselves that maybe things looked worse last year because the strategy was going so bad and all these things. But actually maybe Ferrari just, you know, started very, very well and actually just didn't have the race car that maybe I mean, they definitely had a good race car at circuits, but I think maybe the fact they were making so many blunders in races detracted from the fact that actually, you know, they're in a worse position in terms of on track than, than maybe we gave them credit for. Because as Lawrence said, Vasseur came into the season and was like, nope, we're back on track this year. Like we can we can take it to them and they've just gone backwards. It feels that way. And as you mentioned, Lawrence, at the beginning, I mean, Charles Leclerc put together a great start to the race. I mean, he, like Max, was picking people off. He was driving extremely well. Obviously, the safety car didn't um, bode well for them, but Carlos's Carlos Sainz's performance, I think, was what stood out to me. Um, obviously, both of you picked him to be on podium uh, in Saudi Arabia, and and that was far from the case. Tony, what did you make of his drive? Um, Charles or um, Carlos's? Carlos's. This is really bad to say. I can't remember his drive. Uh, well, I think, that's, I, that's I think that sums it up. Yeah. Oh, um, trying to rack my brain, trying to rack... No, I... It was basically qualified fifth, finished yeah. fifth. Um, there you go. And didn't really, you know, uh, got. I mean, his his highlight of the race was being overtaken by Stroll in that really good move that Stroll put in. Um, or was that was that Charles again? I can't remember if that was Charles. No, that was that, that, that was Carlos. That was a great move by yeah. Stroll around the outside at turn thirteen early on, and then the other uh, time Carlos got overtaken was by Lewis after the restart because mm. Lewis was then on Isn't mediums and, and Carlos was on hards. Um, so I think. Just forgettable. Uh, yeah, it, it is kind of forgettable. And and he was talking about it afterwards, and he was clearly very, very downbeat about where Ferrari are um, in terms of looking after tyres in the race was was the main concern. So um, it's it seems to be a case that that car does just chew through its tyres, especially in Carlos's hands, maybe more so than Charles. And then also he said that when they're running in traffic, they really struggle. So yeah. that car appears to be quite sensitive aerodynamically when it's running in the wake of another car, which then has the impact on uh, tire management, which then means it's very hard to advance further. So um, while we've seen that it can be, well, Red Bull out of the equation relatively fast in uh, the clerk's hands on a flying lap, in qualifying, in clean air, it seems that, yeah, there, there's a lot of other issues with that car underlying. And, you know, that is concerning because those are often the very hard ones to understand because as much as you can simulate uh CFD and, and a wind tunnel to get a car going very quick around one lap, it's very hard to simulate uh what it's like for a car to be following another car uh, in with, with those um tools and then to also make changes to make the car better and then not obviously impact on its on its strengths when it's by itself on a qualifying lap. So there's a lot going on there. And um, yeah, and it's not easy. And again, we, you know, when you reference it to Red Bull, where everything seems to come so easy. Yeah, Max Verstappen flying through the field, no problem at all driving behind other cars. 
that's where you realize the gap. And again, you know, as we talked about with Mercedes, as I talked about, I'm going to go with Ferrari. The goal was championships. It always is for these top mm-hmm. teams. And yeah. when you have that realization that that's not the case, I think it, it really hits the drivers hard because um, I was talking to somebody uh, who knows Lewis Hamilton very well um, in, in Saudi Arabia. And uh, one of the things he said was that, um, that Lewis goes into these years with huge amount of preparation all around what it needs to be a champion, be that on himself, mentally, physically, uh, everything. And then when you get to the first race and you realise it's not there and you've you know, sacrificed so much over the winter to make sure you're in an absolute position to take on anyone who's in a car similar to you and, and beat them, and then you realise that your car just isn't there, that's a big thing for these drivers to take at this time of season. So uh, we, we have seen on a number of occasions a few of them just venting a bit of frustration in the media uh, and then um, in Lewis's case, he did that in Bahrain and then said that he kind of misspoke a bit when he got to Saudi Arabia. But um, it, it is just a sign that, that these guys are a bit frustrated knowing that this title is kind of already over for anyone other than Perez and Verstappen. Frustrated, forgettable. Two interesting words that lead us right to my favorite segment, the doghouse. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. And I think we're going to have to buy a bigger house after this weekend. We need we need more square footage, it feels like. So who would like to start with putting their first member or first team in the doghouse? I can start um, and I'll go with race director Neil Spitting <laughs> and um, sport, FIA sporting director Steve Nielsen because uh, I think those were the two guys that should have had a better handle of of what was and wasn't allowed in a penalty situation in a pit stop. And that's what led to the confusion afterwards. Uh, so those two, I think, you know, um, basically didn't, you know, they, they led to a lot of the confusion after the race. And it was quite embarrassing for the FIA as a result. Tom with an H tweeted a picture of the starting grid. Fernando Alonso was not the only one out of the position. There was multiple cars out of position and yet he was the only one. So as we mentioned, consistency, inconsistency, obviously you're putting them in the doghouse for good reason. I I, I will say on that, I went back because I, I, I saw this tweet and uh, went back and looked at the onboard of Valtteri Bottas, who has won the cars out of position mm-hmm. C and Logan Sargent. And it's really hard to tell from the onboard camera whether they've got um, a part of the contact patch of the front tires, which is what the rules say outside the lines you then go and compare that to alonso and it's very obvious that he has a contact patch outside the line so with that one um i think they need to come up with a better way to be absolutely certain agreed uh, uh mm. you know whether if you know if they're going to have this rule about being directly in between lines which as i said didn't exist last year seems a bit unnecessary to me but i guess you can't have drivers starting way outside their grid box um yeah you maybe need a better way to to, to be absolutely certain on that, whether it's sensors on the cars, cameras on every pit box somehow, you know, uh, you need to be 100% consistent. But I have to admit, from a visual point of view, when I first saw that tweet, 
I absolutely thought the same thing. This is ridiculous. There are two cars outside their box. But if you go and look on the onboard, you do Hard see a significant difference between Alonso and those two. Fair. I appreciate Tony. you oh, saying. Well. I was going to say, Alonso. I appreciate you saying that because I was like, I need a better pair of glasses because yes, <laughs> it in some instances it feels obvious, and in most instances, I'm like, I don't see what everyone's seeing right now. Um, I'm going to have to put honestly the FIA in in this as well, just because this sport is already so complicated. It shouldn't be this complicated to watch and enjoy a Formula One race. Like it just shouldn't. Um, and I do think it we're gonna, I don't know, it just makes the whole thing very frustrating. And with the tech that, that we have today, with all the changes that we've made, we should be at a position where we can actually call a race and call the podium winners. Um, so I'm gonna I, I'm gonna put the same people actually in the doghouse. I'm not being very original on this one. Um no, fair, it works. Better deserving. No, I would agree with that. We've got a bigger house for a reason. We've got the whole <laughs> the whole governing body in. That's what the that's what the dog well, Nate, not to put you in a a box here, but I was I'm expecting maybe your friends at McLaren that you're going to throw. Well, in. yeah. So I don't want to keep putting McLaren in the in the um. doghouse. They won't let me. Um, McLaren are very good at giving us uh, media breakfasts on Saturdays. I don't want to lose <laughs> my privileges to that. <laughs> but no, I mean, I put um. James Key in, didn't I, after the first race? So I think I'm going to mm. keep him in there. As okay. a representative for McLaren, so he's still in there for the for the team. Um, I think McLaren, you know, it's crazy. You know, we've talked a lot about you know teams like dropping off this year and getting better. It's crazy to me that McLaren are in that position. But I'm actually not just because he ruined my prediction, but I'm going to put Carlos Sainz in the doghouse as well because I think that it's interesting that we keep seeing this with Sainz that he yeah. just does not get the same out of the car that Leclerc does. And I think that in a race like Saudi, it was really obvious. The difference between the two maybe doghouse is maybe it's harsh but i just think mm -hmm. it was it was telling and i'd have loved to have seen ferrari's race flipped around so you had even if Charles was starting where science did even if he got you know he didn't get to keep second because i think that maybe the outcome there might have been a bit different um but yeah I, I'm, I'm only saying that because beyond mclaren and beyond the fia i can't think of any really obvious uh candidates to put in there so science gets a he gets a one he gets a one race trip to the doghouse and we'll see if i renew it next week uh, am I allowed to temporarily put um, Joss Verstappen in there? Oh yeah, that's a great shout. That's yeah. I, I'm yeah. just saying, rather he did congratulate Sergio more boisterously than we got to see on camera. You know that when you're standing there, you're on so many different cameras at so many different angles. You are always being watched. Flap a smile mm. on your face. And I just would have thought that we would have seen maybe a smidge of a different reaction. Anyway, well, especially one of the one of the big things going around was. Um, I always forget the name of Sergio Perez's dad, but his dad basically jumping into Max's arms when Max won in Mexico, like it, you know, in their backyard last year. Like, didn't didn't care who was there, just just big hug. And Yoss, you're right. Like, all it takes, all, just it just tap him on the arm and say good job. Like, maybe he did do it later, but it's crazy. And I've always wondered as well. Just as I, I know that we we should ban Abu Dhabi 2021 chat forever, but I've always wondered how fascinating. Well, it's fascinating to, to consider the end of that race if Lewis had won. I don't think oh, we would makes. have seen a, a foot, footage of Jos Verstappen coming in and congratulating Anthony Hamilton and Lewis Hamilton in the same way we saw Anthony Hamilton going. I just, I just think you know we talked about kind of graciousness. I think that that's one thing with with Jos that that maybe is kind of stands out when someone that isn't his son wins a race. It's it's easy easy to see he's not very happy. So I think he's a great addition actually. I should have gone with Jos. Now I'm I'm gutted. I wasted my pick on on science, Katie. That was a great pick. Thank you. I appreciate that. Really quickly before we go, Antonia, as always, we appreciate you joining us. A little bit of news. Porsche, Porsche, 
depends on where you're from, has officially been ruled out of joining the Formula One grid in 2026. Lawrence, surprised, not surprised? Um, considering the way things have gone from where they were, where it looked like they were going to partner with Red Bull and then that not coming through, not overly surprised, no. Um, the other thing was uh, they're part of the Volkswagen group and the Volkswagen group already have Audi on the grid. So for 2026, uh, taking over the Sauber team. So perhaps not overly surprised. And I think for Porsche to do it, they needed to do it the right way. I think they needed to do it with um, ideally making their own engines, but certainly more than just a branding exercise. So, which I think was really all that was uh, left for them by the time, uh, you know, at this stage. So I think it's right. You know, they, they've got other most sport that they're in as well. So um, uh, Porsche is not necessarily a brand I ever really associated with Formula One, but I absolutely did with sports cars and, uh, you know, they've had involvement in Formula E as well. So um, I think that's a, a good avenue for them as as much as I would have loved to see the Porsche brand in. I, yeah, I don't, I'm not overly surprised or not. Tony, I don't know if you participate in March Madness, but really quickly, Nate and Lawrence, I know you filled out brackets for the first time, I think, ever. Are they completely yes. busted? Oh, completely. Yeah, I had Arizona reaching the final. They lost straight away. Oof, so did I. Uh, yeah, but I still have, I think Gonzaga is still in it, and they were my pick to win it. So I picked them okay. just because that's a cool name. I basically picked based on names and, and stuff like that. So they're okay. still in. But yeah, my bracket is looking completely decimated, which I think is normal, right, for March Madness? Yes, it is. Uh, but history would not help you with that Gonzaga pick. So I no, wish you I've realized that since <laughs> picking them, everyone well. said they're very bad at winning it. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. that's that's not great. Uh, as always, I appreciate the three of you. Tony, thank you so much for stopping in again. We love your insight and analysis. Nate Lawrence, get some rest before we get ready for Australia. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to ESPN F1 for more F1 content. Give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers.